Hey guys, welcome back to Fiction Fixation. We're your hosts. I'm Courtney. And I'm Rose. And this week we're going to be recapping the 2010 rom-com Love and Other Drugs, starring Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal. Boo. (laughs) It does make me feel a little bit better that he also plays himself in this movie. What do you mean? A womanizer? I think he has a reputation of like dating really young girls, just like John Mayer. I mean, we only know this because of Taylor Swift's lyrics in All Too Well. (laughs) You know what? Like, I believe Taylor. Everything I know about Jake Gyllenhaal, I know against my will, you know? That's fair. That's fair. So this movie was released in 2010, but it's set in 1996. Different different time, different era. Cell phones were brand new. Mm -hmm. Flip phones, landlines. Yes, pagers. Pagers. Giant computers the size of a dresser. It was 1996 was wild. (laughs) Remember when websites loaded top down? And so it was like you would see a picture appearing little by little like a printer. Yes. Wow. Yeah. We are from the 1900s. Hello. (laughs) It was wild. It was wild. Well, in this movie, Jake Gyllenhaal plays Jamie Randall who is embarking on a new career after the disastrous end of his last one. He worked at an electronics store and he got Uh fired because he was screwing his boss's girlfriend in the store, like in the back of the store. While his boss was there. Yeah. So this guy is brazen. He has no morals. And so he is perfect for the new job he's getting into. Which is pharmaceutical sales. He's a drug rep. He's a drug pusher. They make a lot of money, which is why he wants to do it. Yeah. The drugs that Jamie is assigned are Zoloft and Zithromycin. Zoloft is an SSRI. It was my first SSRI that I was on. Aw. It popped your depression bubble. (laughs) It popped your depression cherry. (laughs) It did not. I was only on it for two weeks before I was off of it. And then I went to Prozac. Mm. Jamie is a womanizer, obviously. But the thing about him is that he thinks he's like a womanizing savant. Like he thinks he is so Mm -hmm. good at it. And it really annoys me because it's like, no, dude, you just look like Jake Gyllenhaal. Like you're just really attractive. It's not rocket science, you know? He's arguably not that attractive. Like, he's hot. Yeah. But, like, he's not, like, lose your mind hot. You know what I mean? He's kind of mid, as the kids say. Mid is is the new word for, for basic. So, Jamie starts his training for being a pharmaceutical rep. And he thinks it's going to be so easy. Like it's going to be a cakewalk because he's been in sales before. Right. But drug sales are totally different. And it's not as easy as he thinks it is. Well, first of all, there's a gatekeeper. When he walks into a doctor's office, there's the receptionist. And receptionists, they they don't have time for your bullshit. Do you know what I mean? They're busy. They're up to their, their, what is the phrase? Up to their throat? Up to their eyeballs. Up, up, up to their eyeballs. They're up to their, <laughs> they're up to their eyeballs in in work, and yeah, it does help him that he's handsome, but it doesn't help him enough to get him a meeting with the doctor. Also, a lot of offices, like you see in the movie, 
They have protocols. The doctor only sees drug reps on Fridays who bring lunch. Right. Because the thing is that the doctors, they know that these drug reps are desperate. And so they try to Mm -hmm. squeeze them for everything. Like, oh, you want me to sell your drugs. Okay. What am I getting out of this? Lunch. (laughs) Yeah. So the drug reps start kind of low key bribing with, you know, little gifts and lunch and all this stuff. And Jamie doesn't know this. And so the very first doctor's office he goes into, he gets rejected and has to watch this other drug rep get into the doctor's office right away. But yeah, so Jamie is currently working with his like trainer, I guess, in the field, his partner, Bruce. It's his mentor. Yeah. And Bruce is trying to show him the ropes. While Jamie seems to have a whole lot of, you know, charm when it comes to getting women to sleep with him. He doesn't quite have the same charm yet when it comes to getting doctors to listen to him. Well, also, the doctors don't like him. They're immediately Mm -hmm. repulsed by him. And I think what it is is that they're obviously different kinds of doctors, right? They're the doctors Mm -hmm. that are trying to make a difference in the world. And then there are doctors that are trying to maximize their profits and see the drug reps as an opportunity to make extra money. And I don't know how the whole like kickback system works for drug reps, to be honest, and doctors. And that's really disturbing that they would have an incentive to push one drug over the other, when really, honestly, it's not necessarily the drug that's best for the patient, but the drug that has the most convincing salesman behind it, and maybe the biggest little side cut. Who knows? Have you seen the Oxycontin documentary? No. So it's called Painkillers, or Painkiller, and it's a documentary on the rise of Oxycontin, and drug reps were making like $62,000 in bonuses a year you know, $100,000 in bonuses a year by getting doctors to prescribe this medication. That people got addicted to and created an epidemic. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes. It's crazy because from an outsider's perspective, it's so slimy what they're doing. But then Mm -hmm. when, you know, obviously Jamie doesn't have a moral compass, so he doesn't care. But then also Mm -hmm. during his training, he was being told that they're helping people. You know, they're always throwing this veil of like, what we're doing is helping people when really what you're doing is exploiting people. And listen, I'm all for prescriptions that are prescribed ethically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, obviously, I take prescriptions. Right. However, I think that when you're being incentivized to prescribe one over the other without taking into account that patient, that's a problem. That's not ethical. Right. That's icky. And Jamie finds a doctor that seems a little icky because this doctor kind of reluctantly but not that reluctantly accepts a thousand dollar what did what do they call it it's like he calls it like a grant like a pfizer grant or something he gives this doctor a check for a thousand dollars and asks him if he could shadow him yeah so the doctor already has a drug rep that he likes but that drug rep is the Prozac bro, and Jamie's the Zoloft bro. Right. Yeah, yeah. At one point, Jamie manages to get into the doctor's office, and he puts his drug, the Zoloft, on the shelves, and he takes the Prozac off the shelves, and then he dumps it out back in a big trash bin. And we see this like homeless guy come up and I'm thinking, oh no, this guy is going to take these drugs. And the guy does. He takes these free Prozac pills that that Jamie just dumped. 
every time Jimmy goes to this doctor's office, he takes the Prozac and dumps it in the dumpster. Mm -hmm. And the homeless man goes and gets it. And you just see the homeless man getting progressively less homeless looking. Yes. It was a funny little touch in the movie. Every time you see the homeless man going to the dumpster, he's looking a little more put together every time. Like at first he's like all ragged and disheveled. And then the next time, like his clothes are a little cleaner. And then the time after that, he has a haircut. And like towards the end of the movie, he's like, I have a job interview. (laughs) He's like, can can I get those samples? (laughs) Oh, God. But what's what's going to happen when this guy can't get that free Prozac anymore? I guess maybe when he gets a job, he'll have health insurance and he'll be able to get it the legal way instead of out of a dumpster. Prozac is cheap, though. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. But Jamie gets an in to shadow this doctor for a day as an intern. Yeah. And I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. I think he's just trying to get on this doctor's good side because this doctor is the one that all the other doctors look up to. So if you can get him to Mm -hmm. carry your drug, everybody else will follow suit. Mm -hmm. And this is where we enter Anne Hathaway. Mm -hmm. Anne Hathaway plays Maggie Murdoch. And Maggie Murdoch is a 27-year-old Parkinson's patient. Yeah, she has Parkinson's at 27, which is kind of unheard of, but I guess not impossible. And if you're not familiar with Parkinson's, it's a degenerative disease that um, doesn't Mm -hmm. it attack the nervous system? I believe so. Let me look it up. Parkinson's is a brain disorder that causes unintended or uncontrollable movements, such as shaking, stiffness and difficulty with balance and coordination. It's degenerative because it gets progressively worse. And normally it's diagnosed, you know, mid 30s to early 50s. Yeah. So Maggie is really cute. Obviously, she's Anne Hathaway. And Jamie sneaks into her appointment and she doesn't know who he is. And if you've ever had a doctor's appointment and had the doctor come in with some random person, you just assume that they're supposed to be there. You don't. Yeah. They could be a random person off the street that the doctor's allowing in. Yeah. So Maggie is there to see this doctor because she needs a refill on her Parkinson's medications. And she takes some of them like four times a day. So Jamie's in the corner and he's looking at her and you could tell he's kind of like, ooh, she's cute because she is. She's cute. And also, I just want to note that she has this very upbeat, positive disposition. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not like the sad, tortured, sick girl. Like she's pretty sarcastic and fun. Yeah, she is. And, you know, the doctor is very helpful. He prescribes her all her medications. And then at the end, he's like, is there anything else? And she's like, I do have this like mark on my breast and I don't know what it is. So she just pops a titty out. Right. She pulls out her breast and Jamie is definitely looking like he is. He's looking and he's he shouldn't be. This is such an invasion. Well, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed for long because after her appointment, Jamie is getting in his car to go home and she sees his drug rep stuff in his car and she starts beating the shit out of him with her purse. Yeah, because he's loading his trunk with all his pharmaceuticals and she loses it. She's like, you're a drug rep, you son of a bitch. You saw my titty. <laughs> yeah, she's mad. And then she's like, can you just apologize? I would really love to hear somebody in the medical community just apologize for once. Yeah, he does. But he also asks her out. And Uh she takes a Polaroid of him and then she tells him to eat shit and die. Jamie does not eat shit and die. Jamie 
calls the receptionist from the doctor's office and asks for Maggie's phone number. And he tells the receptionist, like, hey, listen, she sees all these other doctors. She's a gateway, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I just want to know her doctors. Right. And the reason he's lying about his intentions to this receptionist is because he's sleeping with this receptionist. So Unfortunately. So he has to lie to her. He can't just say, I want Maggie's number because she's hot. And I really like the way that one titty looked. And I want to see if the other one looks the same. Because they look different sometimes, you know? You know, they do look different sometimes. <laughs> you got to look at both of them. They're cousins, not <laughs> sisters. Yes. But the receptionist does give it to him because she is stigmatized by him. Mm-hmm. So she gives him Maggie's number and then he calls and asks Maggie out. He does. He calls Maggie. He asks her to have coffee with him. Maggie, by the way, she's in this very cool apartment that looks like, I don't know, like an artist's dream, you know? Yes. And she's smoking weed, which I think in 2010 was probably like so progressive, you know? Yeah. Now it's just like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's like she's smoking weed. So I wonder if this was like, when did the manic pixie dream girl become a thing? Because I remember during this time, there were a lot of movies where there was like a sick girl who got this womanizing guy to fall in love with her. And so I feel like there should be a term for this. You know, it's not manic pixie dream girl. It's like chill, soulful siren or something. I just looked it up. Do you know when the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope like began, when they got like named and stuff? It was an article and it was about the movie um, that has uh, the actress from New Girl. No, the term was coined by film critic Nathan Rabin in conjunction with the 2007 uh, Kirsten Dunst film Elizabethtown. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Kirsten Dunst from Elizabethtown is the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl. That is not who I had in my head. I had... um, Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel, yeah. I love her. I had a dream I was her once. (laughs) That's kind of creepy. Were you wearing her skin? I was me, but I looked like her. Hmm. Like, I was Courtney, but I looked like Zoe Deschanel. And because you were wearing her skin. Yeah, I was wearing her skin. (laughs) Um, But we were being held captive in a house by this guy. We could come and go as we please because we had to go. We still had to work because bills. Right. Um, But we still went back every night. But we were being held captive. I'm being held captive against my will and I still have to work. This is bullshit. Hashtag being a millennial. Like this is being a millennial. We would not. We would be on our deathbed and we would just be like, we're just going to work from home. It's okay. I don't want to inconvenience anyone. I'm being kidnapped and held hostage. And I'm Zoe Deschanel, but I'm just going to work from home. Yeah. You know, she's a little resistant at first, but you can tell that Maggie is intrigued by Jamie and Jamie's persistent. So she finally gives in and she's like, okay, meet me at this coffee shop at five. Yeah, it turns out that Maggie works at this coffee shop. So she wasn't even making a special trip to see him. She literally was just taking her apron off. So that's the amount of energy she's putting into this date. And honestly, I think she assumes he just wants to bang her. As they're sitting there at the coffee shop having coffee, he notices some of her symptoms and he kind of spits out some medical jargon about why it's happening. And he says, it's happening because you're because you're nervous. And she's like, she kind of dismisses it. He's like, yeah, I'm making you nervous. And there's tension there. There is definite tension. The chemistry between the two of them 
is pretty incredible, to be honest. It is, yeah. And she just cuts to the point. She's like, you want to get out of here? Want to go back to my place? She says, you want to close, right? You want to get laid? And he's so surprised. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because you could tell the only reason he's surprised is because like she's kind of messing up his game. Like usually he's the one that has to convince the woman and she's the one telling him like she knows his game. Yeah. Like, listen, bro, you, you don't have to try so hard with me. Let's just go bang it out. You know, she even says to him. You're looking for an hour or two of relief from the pain of being you. And she's like, same, I do too. And that, like, imagine saying that to a fuck boy, because that's literally what it is. You know, if, when it's just sex mm-hmm. and there's no intimacy, it's so empty. There's no connection. They're literally just looking for a distraction. I think that she really disarms him and it makes him even more intrigued. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. She's not like a normal girl. She's like a cool girl. You know, like, yeah. And this was very common in the early 2000s where it's like the girl that was the main lead and the girl that the guy wanted was always the one that like didn't want a relationship and wasn't Mm -hmm. jealous and wasn't clingy and all these things. Yeah. And Maggie's no different. Maggie's like, listen, she's like, this is just sex. Like no one's catching feelings, dude. Mm -hmm. We are not going to be anything ever. They go to her place and they have pretty messy, intense sex where they're just bumping against every item on their, you know, just making all these clattering noises. And this Mm -hmm. happens in movies a lot. I always wonder what the neighbors think is happening. Like, I would think my neighbor is getting attacked. Like, if I knew that I had, you know, a young woman that lived next door to me and suddenly I'm hearing someone getting thrown against the walls and all these dishes clattering, I would be like... I would call 911. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they end up having sex. And then literally seconds afterward, she's like, you can get your shit and leave. Yeah, she kicks him out. So we get a little, not a montage, but a series of scenes where we see Maggie using Jamie basically as a booty call. And it's hilarious because she has to she has to page him. You know, it's it's technically 1997 over here at this point. You can see Jamie slowly falling in love with this girl with every single time she calls him over for a booty call. Yeah. Which is so the way women want to think it works and it just doesn't work like that. It doesn't. But you know what? It's working for her in this movie. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah, she starts using him as a booty call. We see these scenes of them hooking up basically everywhere at her job, Mm -hmm. in the street. Like, dude, it's kind of scary what young people do because like you could end up on a sex registry list like a sex offender list if you get caught having sex outdoors like fyi and that will fuck up your life you know yeah people are gonna be like you're not allowed within 500 you know feet of a school because you were just like banging your completely legal girlfriend in an alley yeah like imagine explaining that imagine telling your future kids that you can't go to the science fair (laughs) because you're a sex offender you know what i mean But, you know, not the creepy kind of sex offender, the one, the sex offender that technically didn't do anything wrong. They just did the right thing in the wrong place. Yeah. Right thing, wrong place. Right. (laughs) But (laughs) so right now, Jamie, Jamie's living the life. He's out there. He's hustling. You know, he's kind of making a name for himself. He's not quite meeting his quotas yet, but he's getting there. He's banging Maggie at night. Looks like a lot. Um, 
one day on his way out of a doctor's office where he's going to dump the Prozac in the garbage like he does normally. His competitor's drug. Yeah, his competitor's drug. Prozac bro comes up to him, beats the shit out of him. Yeah, this guy punches him. Where is it? Like the liver or something? Like he very specifically Mm -hmm. punches him somewhere that has painful side effects. And as Jamie's like falling to the ground, the guy's like, shh, 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 you're okay. That's just (laughs) this chemical being released into your body. You want to throw up, but it's not going to help. This will last a couple minutes before the natural morphine will start to kick in. Oh, God. It makes me want to go to medical school just to be able to punch some guy in the liver and be like, hey, this is what's happening right now inside your body. You know, all this pain that I caused. And then as Prozac bro is getting up to leave, he's like, and stay the hell away from Maggie. Ooh, Maggie must have a type. Drug bros. Maggie's type is drug bros, apparently. Honestly, wouldn't you save so much money, though, if you're chronically ill, like dating drug bros? I guess if you're dating the right drug bros. Now Jamie is having a harder time with his preferred doctor's office because the receptionist Mm -hmm. he was sleeping with must have heard about what he's been doing, and she freezes him at the front desk. The other rep must have turned them against him. The girls before that were just letting him ride through are like, no drug reps today. Please leave. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Around this time, Maggie seems to be, she's at that point in a relationship where I feel like she probably always pulls away. Like he comes over one night and, you know, they're having sex and everything. And he makes just like a little comment, you know, about. This is nice. Yeah, this is nice. And she's like, oh, shit, you got to go like forever. Yeah, (laughs) she freaks out because it's obvious he's starting to catch feelings. But all he said was, this is nice. And she's like, you know what? Nope. Like, we're not doing this. I don't want a relationship. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say anything about that. I guess she had a bad experience dating someone Mm -hmm. before. Yeah, and the bad experience she had was with Prozac Bro. Her and Prozac Bro were dating. And then I guess Prozac Bro just got a little too exhausted with her chronic illness. When Maggie reveals that the guy she had been dating was Jamie's competitor. And by the way, Mm -hmm. Jamie's competitor is a rock star, okay? He is who Jamie wants to be. And so this is messing with him now because as he's trying to have sex with her, he suddenly can't get it up. He's getting in his head about it. He's getting in his head about it. And Maggie thinks it's the most hilarious thing ever. And she just starts making a whole bunch of like limp dick jokes. Which you would think would be the worst thing to do, but maybe, maybe it's not. (laughs) Maybe it makes it less awkward. Well, you know what? It seems to make it less awkward because they end up having sex. Yeah, they have a tickle war. They have a tickle war, which like seems to get him going. And that's like a different kink, my dude. There was like a whole documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a whole documentary on tickling. There's and it's the wildest thing, Courtney. It was like some maybe billionaire who was running this large operation just to get videos of young men getting tickled. And then he would use that video, those videos to um, like blackmail them and get more videos. It was it was wild. Oof! I hate being tickled. I mean, to me, it's a proclamation of war. I'm not ticklish, though, but it's a proclamation of war. I'm really ticklish and I hate it. And when I say stop, I mean right now, Mm -hmm. right now. 
because you're getting a knee to the face. Yeah. Okay. After I tell you to stop tickling me and you don't stop tickling me, I am not responsible for what happens to you after that. Self-defense. The next morning, I guess uh, Jamie spent the night because the next morning he's kind of perusing around her apartment and uh-huh. he realizes that she's a painter, but she can't hold a brush properly anymore. And so she has to resort to photographs. He starts asking questions that are obviously making her uncomfortable. Um, and she tries to deflect with humor, which I appreciate. And then you can tell that she's struggling because she's trying to open a pack of Pop-Tarts for him. Mm-hmm. And she can't quite get the grip strength to do it. So she just hands it to him. And on his way out, he's like, all right, I'll call you. She's like, no. He's like, no, really, I will. I'll call you. She's like, I'm serious. Don't. Maggie becomes really prickly and kind of standoffish with him. Like, she's so mean to him. And essentially kicks him out like you need to get out of here and she says kind of mean things and so he just doesn't call her for like a day and then oh jamie misses her he finds her she's running some weird i don't know if it's a scheme i don't know if it's legal but it's this thing where she loads a bus full of old people and she takes them to canada because they can't afford drug prices in america i think it's legal Jamie waits for her in the parking lot. Like after work, he actually sleeps in the parking lot and waits for the bus to get back. And so she sees him and she realizes he waited there all night for her. And she just kind of, she gives in. She she folds like a wet paper bag, dude. (laughs) She does. She's like, okay, fine. She's like, but whatever this is, she's like, I get to hate you when you end it. And I'm not meeting your parents. Right. She's the cool girl. Remember, she doesn't want a relationship. Leave her alone. Um, After this, they make sweet love, which is Mm -hmm. uh, so funny because they, you know, it's very different from their passionate sex. And it's obviously meant to show that they're getting closer, you know? Yeah. Right around this time, Jamie also starts to, he he gets switched to a different drug. He starts to sell Viagra. Yeah, this is when Viagra hit the market. Jamie is a lucky guy because he gets to be the sales rep for Viagra. And let me tell you, Viagra is a drug both men and women can get behind. And uh, mm-hmm. it's going viral pretty much. Like it's on all the late night TV shows. The news is talking about it. I remember, mm-hmm. I mean, I was a child and I remember hearing about Viagra. Yeah, it is everywhere. All the doctors are like, give it to me. The doctors are taking it. Yeah. Their doctors are using it more like a party drug. Well, that one doctor, that one shady doctor that Jamie works with, that guy is mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm going to an orgy. Can you hook me up? <laughs> right? And now, Jamie, being the womanizer and sweet talker that he is, everyone wants the Viagra. And he is blowing his sales quotas out of the water. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Viagra is selling itself. And uh, Mm -hmm. side note, do you know that Jamie is based on a real person? No. Yeah. So this movie was inspired by a memoir about the guy that kind of started pushing Viagra and made it this big viral thing, which again, it sells itself like whatever. But yeah, it was interesting. He's based on a real person, but the whole story about him falling in love with a woman suffering from Parkinson's like that wasn't real. They just had to okay. they had to make him likable because apparently he was like completely not likable the whole time. <laughs> I mean, that that tracks, though. Yeah, like, it does. Like, right. Yeah. Since him and Maggie are like together now, 
And he even calls her his girlfriend. And she's like, don't don't say the don't say the G word. Yeah, they're in a full blown relationship. And um, we get a montage of their cute relationship moments. His career is going amazingly. He's got a new mm-hmm. car. Um, they also make a sex tape, but with a literal tape, right? Like with a camcorder. Yes, I would never. These are the safest sex tapes in history because you need the, you can only have one copy at a time unless you make a copy but like mm-hmm. you need to have the physical tape to see it you can't upload it online you need a vcr you know like all the sex <laughs> like all the sex tapes that were like filmed on cassette tapes are just pretty much archived now like you can't watch them mm, unless you have a vcr imagine oh my god how many people don't we realize? had a vcr until a couple of years ago oh really I need a VCR because my mom found all these old little tapes that I used to record. I'm dying to see what's in them, but they're the little ones. So I'm going to need the adapter, but then I also need a VCR. That reminds me, I need to buy a VCR. You can take them places and have them transfer them to DVDs or flash drives. I know, but I don't know what's in them. So I don't want to do that. Is there anything dirty in them? There's nothing dirty in them, but it's just very cringy and embarrassing. You know, I don't want to Okay, to that's fair. But yeah, so... Maggie and Jamie are full-blown couple against both of their wills. More against her will than his. Yeah. And there's this really cute scene, okay? And I love it. And Jamie comes home from a night out pitching his drug to people. He comes home to Maggie's house because he has a fucking key now. Mm -hmm. And he comes home and he starts kissing her. And then he starts shaking. Yeah, it seems like he's having a panic attack. Maggie says, Mm -hmm. your heart is beating out of your chest. I thought he took Viagra and was having a bad side effect. So did I. (laughs) So did I. I thought he took Viagra and was having a bad side effect. No, he just tells her he loves her and he almost gags on the word. Yes, this was my favorite I love you scene I've ever seen, especially because he's obviously a chronic womanizer who's afraid of commitment. And so, yeah, it's an existential crisis for him to realize that he's falling in love with this woman. And they're both freaking out, by the way, because she doesn't want to be in love ever. But yeah, I love this scene because he's literally he's like, oh. Like, it looks like he's getting ready to throw up. And he's like, I love you. She's like, oh, no. (laughs) No, she's not even she's not even making it easy on him. She's like, can you turn it off? Can you make it stop? Like, don't do it. Yeah. And then after he like gets it out, he's like, "Okay, you know what? This is all right. Mm -hmm. And I expect her to be like, you got to go again. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't. She doesn't say it back also. No, No, she doesn't. She doesn't say it back. So Maggie's symptoms are getting worse. She's having a hard mm-hmm. time opening her pill bottles. I mean, she's she's having flare-ups. Like, they're getting worse and yeah. worse. And she she's starting to drink a lot because she's trying to numb her feelings of emptiness or whatever. And mm-hmm. so because she's drinking in a bitter way, she starts being really toxic towards Jamie, who's literally doing nothing but just like being there and being in love with her yeah he comes home from work one day and she's drunk and she's still drinking and she says how she went to the clinic she got her prescriptions but by the time she got to the pharmacy it was closed so she has to wait another day to get them 
And he asked her, he goes, don't you think you've had enough of drinking? And she goes, no, but you do. And then she says, I almost went home with somebody from the clinic today. So like, she's just trying to hurt him. She's trying to hurt him. And she also says, what's so desirable about me when you have all these limber bimbos that are ready for you? And it's just mm-hmm. her insecurities are showing, which is fair. I understand her insecurities of like, this is this handsome, successful 20 something year old guy. Like, I'm sick. I have a degenerative disease and he wants to be with me. Like, I understand yeah. that insecurity because then also like men don't think that far ahead. Like, you know, he's not mm-hmm. thinking about the future. He's just happy right now. But she knows where her illness is going. Yeah, she knows. And it just it's not computing in her head that, bro, he told you that he loved you. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't even need to say it to sleep with you. And then also... No, you're not making him be there. If anything, you're pushing mm-hmm. him away and he still wants to be there. And it's sad to me how the people who need the most love and support are sometimes the most prickly. But at the same yeah. time, you shouldn't be putting someone through your toxicity. You know what I mean? Like that's work for your therapist, not your boyfriend. Well, she says, you know, you don't get points for pity fucking the sick girl, right? Mm -hmm. And at that point, he's like, you know what? No, I'm done tonight. So he grabs his jacket and his keys and, you know, he's like, I'll see you later. And as he leaves, she goes to grab her drink, but her hand shakes and she ends up knocking it off the table and breaking it and then just falls to the floor sobbing. She is so frustrated, which I can understand this frustration of your body Mm -hmm. isn't working the way it should. Something as simple as taking a cup to your lips is not happening. And she shrieks. She screams out this really hard to hear and agonizing sound. And even though she is being really mean to him, Jamie turns right back around, kneels down next to her and comforts her. Jamie tells her that he wants to take her to this big medical conference that's happening in Chicago. And initially, she wasn't planning on going. And the shady doctor that Jamie sells his uh, drugs to had told him that it's like a giant orgy. Like it's 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 kind of like a place where all these groupies go to hook up with doctors, apparently. Hey, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. They said it. Yeah. So she goes with him to Chicago and somebody sees her hand shaking while she's getting water for tea, approaches her and was like, oh, stage one, my son is stage three. You should come across the street and join us to the unconvention. Yes. So there's a group of people with Parkinson's who are holding what they call an unconvention. And it's essentially, it's almost like an AA meeting where all of these people Mm -hmm. are getting up and just confessing their fears and frustrations and anger about having Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. And girl, I think this needs to be a requirement for basically every ailment. Yeah, I think it's so soothing to know that other people feel the same way. It's so powerful to see that you're not alone. It's so powerful to Mm -hmm. see that other people are, are surviving with your struggles. Yeah, I love it. And she pages him and says, I'm across the street. You should come join me. And so he goes across the street. He leaves the convention and goes across the street and kind of overhears some of what's going on. And then he gets into a conversation with the husband of another Parkinson's patient. 
Yeah, so there's another man there who's supporting his wife who has Parkinson's. And Jamie is so wide-eyed and cute as a 20-something-year-old, as we all were when we were 20-something. And he looks Mm -hmm. to this man and says, oh, do you have any advice for me? You know, my girlfriend has Parkinson's. Yeah, and the guy says, you don't want my advice. And Jamie's like, no, really, I do. And the guy says, my advice is to... Pack your bags, leave a nice note, and get the fuck out. Girl, that was rough. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy says, this disease will steal everything you love about her. She's going to lose motor control. She's going to get dementia. She's going to start mm-hmm. having incontinence, and you're going to have to clean her up. Like He describes this the horrible future that is ahead. And mm-hmm. Jamie was not ready to hear that. That was not what he expected at all. I think he wanted a pep talk and instead he had a come to Jesus. After the unconvention, Jamie and Maggie are walking down the street and she is filled with so much hope. You know, she says that she's so grateful that Jamie brought her here because she never would have known that this giant group you know, community of people existed and she feels so free. And then she says that she loves him. Yeah, she finally says it back. She tells him that it's the first time in her life she hasn't felt alone. And he lets out a nervous chuckle. You can see that he's scared and that for the first time in their relationship, he is actually seeing and considering the future. Mm -hmm. They get home and he starts researching Parkinson's. Yeah, but he starts researching the Parkinson's and the different treatments, and he goes to the one shady doctor that he works with sometimes and essentially is like, find me Parkinson's doctors, find the treatments, find the experimental shit, find me everything, because every day Maggie's getting worse. He hyper fixates on curing her, which is impossible because there isn't a cure, but he starts taking her to all these appointments and he's maxing out all of his credit cards. You know, I think Maggie at first is uh, going along with it because she has this hope from the convention, but Mm -hmm. slowly she starts to realize how desperate he is to cure her and it kind of turns her off, I think. (laughs) It does. Her final straw is they drove like 2,000 miles to get to this one doctor in Massachusetts, arrive at the appointment just to be told that it's been postponed for two weeks. Jamie is having a complete Karen moment at uh, the front desk, which we would all have. Like, listen, if you drove 2,000 miles and they didn't tell you your appointment was postponed, heads are going to roll, right? So he's yes, he is losing it on the receptionist. And for Maggie, it's just showing how invested and how obsessed he is with trying to fix her. And um, it freaks her out, I think. I think it freaks her out because she knows there's no cure and he's getting too invested to accept that there's no cure and that as she progresses, he's going to dip. She tells him, clearly, you need me to get better to love me. 
And that's not fair of her. Like, that's not what he's doing. I don't think you can blame anyone. Like, if someone you loved was struggling with some disease, I don't care if the doctors Uh say there's no cure. You would still have hope. You would still try. You would look into things, you know? I would be on every mailing list for experimental treatments. Like, hey, listen, there is no cure, but this could be a cure. You know, maybe we can't cure it, but maybe we can stop it. Right. You know? Nobody wants to watch their loved ones just gradually get worse and worse. So, of course he is. He's so in love with her. Yeah, so it's really not fair what she does. She breaks up with him because of this. She she breaks up with him for having hope. You know, that was her red flag was that he had hope. <laughs> her red flag was that he wanted her to get better. And he's like, no. Like At first he tries to be like, no, we're not breaking up. That's not what's happening. She's like, no, it is. She tells him, we're going back home and you are going to get all your stuff out of my apartment. She even says, you know, you're becoming successful in your career and you don't need a sick person holding you back, which let me tell you something. I know we're supposed to root for them as a couple and I do, but I still don't think he realizes how life altering it is to be a caregiver, which is his future. No, but even if somebody did tell you how life altering it is, nobody believes it until they have to do it. Right. And you also wouldn't walk away from the person you love anyway, you know? Honestly, if somebody told you before you and your husband got married that he would have a degenerative condition later in life and you were going to have to care for him, would right. you have stayed or would you have left? Like, I would have stayed. Right. It's the card you're dealt and you just kind of you just have to deal with it. I mean, I personally Mm -hmm. know people who have been in the situation where they married a healthy person who then developed a degenerative disease and life is extremely difficult, but they're in it. There's no other option. Things can always happen. Like even if you don't develop a degenerative disease, accidents happen like something that could happen to you. Like, how would you feel if you know, you were in an accident, well, not you specifically, but like, how would, you know, if the situations were reversed Mm -hmm. and you were in an accident and then you needed help doing stuff, right? like, I don't know, he's, he's kind of crushed, you know, he's, he gets a little espresso depresso. He is a little espresso depresso. And we see both Maggie and Jamie dealing with the aftermath of the breakup, which is essentially, her crying at work and him lying around his apartment. His brother staying with him. His brother has a lot of money, but somehow needs to crash on his couch. His brother is like, hey, man, like, you look a little sad. (laughs) You look so sad. And right around that time, Shady Doctor calls Jamie and was like, hey, I need some of that vitamin V. I'm going to a pajama party at another drug rep's house. You should come. Jamie is saying no, but Jamie's brother snatches the phone away and says, yes, of course, I will be there. Jamie's brother is this nerd, not conventionally attractive. His wife left him because he was apparently addicted to internet porn. So now his brother's staying with him and his brother's like, listen, I've never been to a pajama party with hot women and Viagra. Like, I want to go. Yeah, so... They go to this pajama party and it's at this drug rep's house that's like a really nice like pool house. Yeah, this girl's making the money. Yeah, she spent a lot of money on this house. She brings Jamie back to a bathtub that has another girl in it. And essentially, she offers him a threesome. 
Jamie gets force fed Viagra in a very unbelievable way. Like this lady literally just like puts it down his mouth. You could have spit it out. You could have spit it out, but whatever. He just, he's acting like, oh no, I don't want this. I'm being force fed Viagra and I'm being coerced into a threesome. Oh no, you force fed me the Viagra. Now I have this huge erection that I have to do something with. (laughs) Yes, men can't just have erections. Um, So he has a threesome And then afterwards, he starts having side effects, which are not really described, but I am assuming he's having an erection that's lasting more than six hours. (laughs) Yeah, so he has a painful erection. He goes and cock blocks his brother. His brother is actually having sex with this very attractive woman. And Mm -hmm. he... Jamie's standing at the doorway with a pillow covering his crotch. And he's like, dude, I need to go to the emergency room. On their way to the emergency room, Jamie's brother is so excited because he's like, dude, I always envied you because you were such a man whore and you were sleeping with all these women. And I thought that was the life. And now I did it. I had meaningless sex and I realized how empty it left me feeling. And I realized I don't want it. He's like, I want to go home to my wife now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think his wife wants him, but also... Imagine him going to his wife and being like, honey, I cured my internet porn addiction. Oh my God, sweetie, that's so great. How? By having sex with a stranger and realizing it's not what I want. (laughs) No, no, this is... Men are stupid. Men are so dumb. Yeah, well, Jamie you know, goes to the hospital for his painful erection. I don't, they they don't really show how they get rid of it, but I'm assuming it involves like draining blood or ice packs. I don't know. Dude, imagine a long day at the ER. Like there's people coming in with like forks in their head and broken Mm -hmm. limbs. And then this guy's like, my dick won't go down. (laughs) Like, sir, you're going to sit there for 12 hours. We got more important things. (laughs) For real. I don't know. Like, what? How do they do that? I'm, I'm, hold on. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Um, excess blood is drained from your penis using a small needle. That yeah, so is horrible. That is horrific. Yeah, they essentially have to manually deflate your penis. Nice. Yeah. When you know when the brother says that thing about the meaningless sex and how it left him feeling empty, I feel like mm-hmm. he was also speaking for Jamie as well because I think the whole threesome thing was Jamie going back to his old ways, really, honestly, getting everything he wanted because he's he was after this drug rep, this hot blonde drug rep at the beginning of the movie and she wouldn't give him the time of day. And so he finally got her in a threesome. He should have been the happiest he ever was. And I think he realized like, this isn't what I want. Yeah, Jamie's priorities have changed and he doesn't want meaningless sex anymore. He wants Maggie. yeah. You know, right after he gets home from being at the hospital, he gets a page. He got the Chicago market for Viagra. He got the promotion that he wanted. He got the promotion that he wanted, but he's not as happy as he thought he would be. It's kind of an empty accomplishment. Yeah, it's an empty accomplishment for him. And to just kind of add, to rub salt in that wound for him, when he goes out to dinner with his mentor to celebrate... Maggie's leaving the restaurant with another dude whose name she doesn't even know. I think she calls him Jim when his name is like Peter or something like she gets she gets his name completely wrong. Yeah, she calls him Jeremy when his name is Justin. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Maggie. Justin excuses himself 
politely says he's going to go get the car and he kind of leaves Maggie and Jamie to talk. And, you know, they do the awkward, how are you? Long time no see. You know, you look great. And then once she finds out Jamie got the Chicago promotion, she's like, oh, we break up. And then he gets this promotion. I feel like it's solidifying in her mind. Like I was holding him back. I was the problem. I don't know. I think she's happy for him. But I think she's also saddened that like he's going to have this great life. uh, Not with me. Mm -hmm. Because also they're not in Chicago. So he would have to move to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Jamie goes home after his celebration dinner And as he's packing, he finds the camcorder and in it is a tape where Maggie is talking about how she wants this moment preserved to show how happy she was in this moment. Yeah. Where they're just laying in bed together and she looks so happy. She's smiling. She's giggling. She describes the moment in the video. She describes the smells and the feels and the breeze coming in from the window. It's very visceral. I think it takes Jamie back to that moment. I think it takes Jamie back to how happy he is with Maggie and how in love he is with her. Yeah. And Jamie decides he's going to go get his girl back. He rushes to the coffee shop where she works, but she she's not there because she's doing her side gig of smuggling old people into Canada. So Jamie decides the only option for him is to catch up with the bus on its way to Canada. Mission Impossible style. Yeah, he's weaving in and out of traffic and he finally catches up with the bus. He's honking the horn to get Maggie's attention. He finally gets it and he's like, pull over. And she's like, I can't pull over. And he's like, I want to talk to you. She's like, I don't want to talk to you. So he follows the bus until it makes a pit stop for gas and bathroom breaks. Yeah. He convinces Maggie to come outside and talk to him. And all the old people are like, well, he's kind of cute, honey. Maybe you should talk to him. You know what? Like, listen to the old people. (laughs) Yeah, Girl, they know what they're doing. Um, Jamie tells Maggie that he's full of shit that he's never cared about anyone or anything his whole life and that everyone was just okay with it. Everyone was like, oh, that's just Jamie. Nobody's ever really held him accountable for Mm -hmm. the way he acts and treats people. And he says, and then you, you didn't see me that way. He says he's never known anyone who actually believed that he was enough until he met her. And then she made him believe it too. BRB, I am sobbing the whole like someone. It's so sweet. Well, the whole like someone making you feel like you're enough, making you feel like you don't have to, making you feel like you've always been a good person and you didn't have to change to be a good person. Yeah, somebody who's not making you prove yourself. Right. I need you and you need me. And she says, I'm going to need you more than you'll need me. And he's like, you know what? That's fine. And she says, no, it's not. And he goes, imagine there's another universe and there's another us where you're healthy and I'm healthy and and we're worried about money. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine that universe. I want you. So he's saying like he doesn't want the alternative. And, you know, initially when he had the threesome, I felt like it was just so unnecessary. But then in retrospect, I realized, no, 
It was him getting his old life back of being a womanizer and then realizing he didn't want it. So I think it was important for that to happen, for him to realize like, oh, here's my old life, even better than before. I could have it if that's what I want, but no, Mm -hmm. I want Maggie. Well, yeah, he found out what it feels like to be fulfilled in a relationship and like the empty doesn't cut it anymore. The little pebbles inside the bottomless well just don't do anything Mm -hmm. for him. I think it's really sweet. It is really sweet. She tells him, I can't ask you to do this, like to basically take care of me as I get worse. And he says, you're not asking me to. You know what? She she caves. Maggie's hard ass is just like, okay, I like you too. I really love you. Yeah. And that's kind of where the movie ends of them you know, officially being together. But girl, Mm -hmm. do you know where the movie needed to end is them filling out the intake form at a therapist's office because they both need therapy. And I don't mean this in like a reductive way. I mean that no one going through what they're going through should be doing it without the tools. Like we see throughout the movie how toxic she gets every single time she's having a flare up. And that's not Mm -hmm. fair to him. Do you know what I mean? Like this is the thing, like when you don't deal with your issues, you hurt people, you hurt the people around you. And so even though she loves him, Every time she has a flare up, she turns into a complete, really mean person and hurts him. That's not fair. And I don't think he should allow that. I think he should demand that she goes to therapy and works on her shit. Because listen, it's a lot to find out that in Mm -hmm. the beginning of your life, you have a degenerative disease that's going to rob you of your life. No, it is. I feel like therapy would benefit the most in the long run to help prepare them for what's to come, you know? Right. Like it's a preemptive therapy. It is, but she also has a lot of anger to unpack. I don't know. I just feel like Maggie should grab some of his samples of Soloft and kind of crush them into her oatmeal in the morning because uh, whatever she's taking is, not, is it needs a little help. I don't know. Maybe they should up the dosage. Listen, I'm just saying that people with like degenerative illnesses, I feel like they deserve benzos. Well, it, when you're in chronic discomfort and chronic pain that's affecting your life, yeah, you should be on the hard shit. Like, it's yeah. about being comfortable. But in any case, um, but yeah, the teapot is empty for today. Don't worry, Maury's bringing it on the way. We'll be back next week with another episode. We'll see you next time. Bye.